That song is just such a good song, isn't it? Sometimes I can't even sing anymore, just reading the words. If you want to uh, send your kids out to a children's program that we have just for them, this is their moment to exit. Uh, just go to the back door. There'll be somebody to meet them back there and take them out to a, uh, a lesson prepared just for them. Well, welcome. It's good to see you back. I feel like we've been, uh, we've been away for a little while. Is that right? We've kind of been away for a little while. Some COVID issues and some, uh, some other things that we have been doing, so it's good to be back with you. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and uh, it's good to see you all back. Yeah, welcome back. And those of you that are online, thank you for joining us this morning. We are continuing a study, actually, that Michael kicked off last week, um, and we weren't able to, to join him in that because of the challenges with COVID that we had, but uh, everything's back to normal now, which is, which is exciting for us. Uh, the series that we're working on is, is called Jesus is in an Insidious World, and if you missed the first one, uh, you'll definitely want to find out why we called it that, and uh, that's all explained in, uh, in last week's message, so we want to encourage you uh, to jump in and, and see this. So here's the thing. Here's, here's what we're going to talk about this morning. I am infatuated with a part of Jesus uh, that he constantly talked about in his ministry. And we have a tendency to kind of pigeonhole it as one thing. And maybe what he meant was far more than just a simple phrase. And here's, here's, here's a popular verse to kind of set the, set the table for us this morning, John 10.10, 10. maybe you've heard this verse before. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What does that mean? What does it mean to have abundant life? Like, is that just life on steroids? Is that life plus something else? Is it, is it life that we know and then a little bit more? Is it eternal life only? Is it just the life we look forward to after we die, after we leave this, 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 uh, uh, this terrestrial plane. He talks about it all the time. Some of my favorite verses, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Always talking about life. I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, another very popular verse. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. What does he mean when he keeps saying he is the life? I'm, I'm, I'm compelled to dig into this a little bit more and see what he means by saying he is the life. Now, we're doing a study out of John chapter 1, and we come across a verse, John chapter 1, where it talks about Jesus being this life. And here's how John chapter 1 starts. John's gospel, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John writes his gospel, his take on his time with Jesus, a little different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot of different stories in there. John writes later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so he's probably reading what they've written and thinking to himself, you guys, you're, you're morons, you left out a whole bunch of stuff. And so he writes a whole lot of new stories in there that Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't include, and John thinks everybody needs to know this stuff. In fact, one of the last verses of John, you can look this up, it's kind of interesting. He writes in his gospel in one of the last chapters, he writes, listen, I have a lot more that I could write and the papers would fill up the entire world, but I don't have that much paper and that much ink, so get to know Jesus. Here's how he starts his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, 
Uh, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse four, in him was what church? In him was life. Four verses and he gets right to it. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Does he mean eternal life? Does he mean something we're missing in this life? What life does Jesus have that we don't understand? John is not simply referring to whether or not somebody is alive or dead. There's so much more that he's referring to here. More that, that is included in our spiritual life with Jesus than we could possibly know about. When I was growing up, I had a friend, and I always went to his house, and we would hang out. He taught me how to play chess. Really great chess player, really good friend of mine. And I was, I was younger, so we'd sometimes go over to his house after school, and then I'd make my way home on the bus or whatever, but we'd, we'd hang out all the time. Every time I went into this guy's house, it always smelled. Like there was a peculiar smell about, the, it didn't smell like my house, it didn't smell like any of the other houses that I'd been in, but it had a peculiar smell. And then when I got old enough, I realized he was from Columbia. And so his house smelled a little bit different than all the other houses that I, growing up as a Canadian, had been in before. Then I started thinking to myself, I wonder if my house smells. There's always a, have you noticed, like when you go into a house, it has a particular smell about it. And you identify that smell with the person that lives there. And so I was growing up and I thought that was the strangest thing, this this smell in in this house. I didn't think my house smelled because I grew up in it. He didn't think his house smelled because he grew up in it. Because we have been in this environment so often and so familiar to us, we didn't think there was anything different about it. John had lived his whole life, up to this point in his life, just living his life. John writes his gospel, just living his life, but something changed when he met Jesus. It wasn't until he saw Jesus that he realized he might be missing something in his life. Because I think what John realized, and if you read his gospel, it is full of, I am the bread of life, I am the water of life, I am the resurrection and the life. That's all in John. John is encapsulated with this idea, captured with the idea that Jesus has life. And I think it's because John, when he met Jesus, realized something he didn't know before. He had grown up in a world of death, and he was used to it. He thought that was normal. He thought that was life until he met life. Until he saw Jesus, he didn't realize the world of death that he had been living in. We're spending time in John chapter 1 because we live in an an insidious world. Insidious means proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. There's a, there's, a, there's a part to whatever is going on, and if somebody is being insidious, they are pretending to be something that they're not in order to gain a harmful end. It's an insidious way of, of living, and the world in which we live is, a, is kind of an insidious world. Living in this world without Jesus is killing us. Let me say that one more time because it's actually pretty profound. Living in this world without Jesus is killing us. We are so used to living in this world that we are unable to identify its problems anymore. Once in a while, we'll look and we'll go, that doesn't seem right. Something wrong about, I don't know what it is, 
but there's something wrong with that. We live in this world of death, this world of darkness, so, it's so accustomed to us that God had to introduce his son, Jesus Christ, insert him into this world to show us what life was like. John chapter one identifies four terrible effects this world has on us that Jesus came to undo. The four things are this. One, confusion. We talked about that last week. Michael did a good job on that one last week. Again, type in, uh, jump on if you want to see that. Confusion, death, which we're talking about today. Darkness, that's next week, and intolerance. These are the insidious parts of our world. We've become so accustomed to this, we 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 even redefine them so we can live with them. Listen to how John describes his interactions with Jesus. In him was life. Do you get the idea that John is seeing something unfamiliar to him when he sees Jesus Christ? I want you to understand, John had lived a life just like you've lived your life. He had explored his faith, he's laughed, he's cried, he's lived life, he had family, he had siblings, he was educated, he knew a trade, he even was spiritual. John lived his life just like everybody in this world and knew everybody in the world around him lived their life. He actually even studied about the Messiah. He was a good Jewish boy growing up in a good Jewish home. He'd done festivals and feasts highlighting the coming of the Messiah. John had had multiple lectures in Jewish settings about the Messiah and how the Messiah would show up someday. John was living his life just like everybody around him was living their life, but it wasn't until he came face to face with Jesus did he really understand this man, this person, brought life, real life, a different kind of life that I'm not used to. He brought life, he showed life, he had life. John was captured by this part of Jesus. And so over and over, John writes about life. In fact, it is in the Gospel of John that we come across the term born again. You must be born again. You've seen that at, at football games, right? I was going to say hockey games. You've seen that at football games, right? You must be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God until you're born again. And the New Testament picks up on this. The writers of the New Testament pick up on this as well. This idea that you have to be born into a new life. You have to leave the life that you know, that's familiar. The house that you grew up in and smells it are, are so familiar to you to understand what real life is about. You've got to meet Jesus to understand that. In fact, when John, John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the epistles. Those are the letters. John 1, 2, and 3, and then he wrote the book of Revelation through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And all those books are packed with life language. Here's how he starts his letter. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, <coughs> toward the end of the Bible. He starts his letter this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes. Can you see the experiential part of what John's trying to get at here? We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands concerning the what, church? Concerning the word of life. John is saying, listen, I wanna tell you about something that you're not used to, life. And people are going, I know what life is, I'm alive. No, you're not. No, you don't get it. 
I have seen real life. I have touched real life. I've heard real life speak. There's something different about the life that Jesus had and the life that we have. It's completely different. And I've seen it and I've touched it and I've smelled it. It's not what we're used to. That life was made manifest to us and we have seen it and testified to you and proclaimed to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You know what that means, made manifest to us? It means that life was given a body. John hung out with life for three years. For John, it was a contrast. He's saying, I've seen life. I've heard life speak. I've, I've experienced life. And, and I think John was so encaptured by this idea of life because he was so depressed because he lived in a world of death. And he didn't know it until he met Jesus. Jesus provided a contrast he had never seen before. And I think every time Jesus spoke about life, John listened. He perked up every time. John 5, 26. Jesus says, for as the Father has life in himself. I can just hear John listening to this part. Maybe he faded off while Jesus was teaching at some point. But the minute Jesus says anything about life, John listens. For as the Father has life in himself, Jesus says, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. Once John met Jesus and learned about him and realized the life that he thought he had, was really filled with death. Church, I believe we, like John, have become complacent in this world of death. Suicide rates have skyrocketed. You ever notice, like, you go to a funeral, the body's there in the casket, decaying. So what do we do? Slap makeup on it, try and make it look better, and when people come forward and they see it, they don't know what to say, and I feel for them. But so often I've heard in the funerals that I've done, he looks so beautiful. He doesn't. He's not even there. We in our world today have become so accustomed by death, we dress up gravestones. We dress up dead bodies. We have, we have lanterns that fly off into the sky to celebrate the life of somebody and their in their death. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Just let me make that very clear. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But do you realize how often we're trying to make death acceptable? Death is not acceptable. When I do a funeral, I have to tell you, honestly, I get angry a lot because death should not be here. And the only reason death is here is because of our sin. We even have phrases to make ourselves feel better about death. Death is a part of, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Death is not a part of life. Death is the opposite of life. Death is what kills life. Death shuts life off. Death is not a part of life. Death is a part of sin. Death a part of a fallen world. But death is, is the opposite of life. We create fairy tales of ghosts and apparitions and people coming back to make better their lives that they used to have. We set up candles on air and, 
and set them out on water and let them float into the eye. We, we even have celebrations of parades that celebrate death. Some cultures look to dead people for guidance in their lives. We have a tendency to look at death and become so, so, con, uh, so uh, con, um, confused by it and so, um, so accepting of it that we insert it into life and we say it's normal. Church, death is not normal. Jesus came to show us life because we have been living in a world of death. The problem is we live in a graveyard. We don't know it. One of my favorite movies is The Matrix. You know The Matrix? I know, here it comes. Just so, not the second one or the third one or even the newest one that came out, don't even bother. But the first one, the first one is amazing. And so much of it in, in there, and I'm, where hopefully I'm going to, I told Michael I want to do a podcast on this, and he wants to talk about Harry Potter, but I, know, I don't know if he's too keen on doing The Matrix, but I want to do one on The Matrix. Neo is living in this world generated, it's a dream world. And it's generated by machines, and he doesn't even know this. And so he en- ends up, you know, getting unplugged and realizing what, the, what real life is about. And there's so much, and, and he has to take a red pill. Get that red pill in order to get out of this? And anyway, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, his name is Neil. Trinity is in there. Cypher's the bad guy. Lucifer, Cypher's the bad guy. It's all over there. But anyway, that's just me. Listen to the podcast and, and you'll get, anyway. Neo, uh, 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 Morpheus, who is a picture of John the Baptist telling that the Messiah is going to come. Neo is a picture of the Messiah. Morpheus says to Neo, you've been living in a dream world, Neo. And church, I want to say to you, you've been living in a graveyard. And we think it's normal. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we could stop accepting the fact that this world of death is normal. We started this journey without a warning. Eve was told if she ate of the fruit, she would surely die. And when she ate of the fruit, she didn't die physically, right? She kept on living. She died spiritually, and she brought death into the world. Eve had never seen death before until she looked at death in the, in the, in the face of her youngest son, killed by her oldest son. Can you imagine what that was like for Eve? So this is death, the broken heart of a mother, and to know that she and Adam brought this into the world. The world smells of death. From that day forward, we have become so used to the world and the smell of death, we've begun to think of it as normal. Here's the thing. You never know you're living in a graveyard until you see real life. We would not know life unless God came to us, and God did come to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Death was normal. Death was acceptable. Jesus was the life that opened our eyes. And when John experienced real life, when John experienced Jesus, John experienced life. Not just the eternal life that was promised to him, but a new way of living in this world today. John is compelled by this one thought, Jesus is the remedy to our culture of death. John is compelled to reveal to us that we have been duped, duped to believing the lie that death covers us and conquers us all. And since this is the case, all we need to do is learn to cope with death. And church, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to learn to cope with death. 
Jesus' life, and he came to bring you life. That's why the Bible describes us as being lost and without hope in this world. God had to intervene. Jesus had to come to demonstrate life within a culture of death. Everything Jesus touched, he brought life to. Have you noticed that? We're watching The Chosen. Have you seen The Chosen? There's, there's, a, there's a, several scenes in there, but one that we just saw that just, I was just bawling. Jesus sees this leper. All the others run away from him. Very true to the fact. Lepers had to cover them, their, their faces and hold out a hand and cry, unclean, unclean. They weren't even allowed in the cities. Leprosy is extremely contagious. So anytime you saw a leper, you ran the other way. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus ran toward the leper while everybody ran the other way. Why? Because sin and death and disease and sickness fill our world and it wins every time. We're duped into believing this is normal. Jesus, who is life, runs to the sickness. And you know what happens? When life walks toward death, life wins. Jesus comes to this person that is sick, this leper, and there's tons of times that he did this in the New Testament. And every time Jesus walked into the presence of sickness and death, Jesus wins. Why? Because he is life. In this world, we run away from it. Jesus runs toward it. Why? Because he wins every time. Life wins. Every time Jesus walks right into the presence of death. Jesus wins. The writer of the New Testament picks up this theme and runs with it. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Don't you love that? He has caused us to, to be born again to a new life with a living hope. Not a dying wish, but a living hope. Can you see that? It's not that you're laying on your deathbed and people are going, what's the last thing you want, man? No, it's a living hope. To pass from this life and to go to the next is simply a walk through a door. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know the New Testament never says believers die? Did you know that? In the Old Testament, people are dying left and right, but after Jesus Christ, after life, in the New Testament, every time it talks about believers who pass from this earth, it says that they sleep. It doesn't say that they die. It's the most interesting thing in the world, and it doesn't mean that they're just sleeping, that there's there's some sort of passing of time until Jesus comes back. That's not what it means. What it means is, for believers, death has been conquered, and it's simply a facade. Don't believe it. When I do a funeral and that person knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's the body they leave behind. Their spirit is fine, alive, and well. A living hope. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And someday that body that's decaying will be brought together and made new, and that spirit will be reunited with the body. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead and that body left the tomb, our bodies will be reunited to our spirit someday, and we will be whole again. Death doesn't win for us. Why? Because we got life. Life that Jesus Christ brings to us. We live in a world where death is the inevitable reality, but for believers it is simply a lie. 
Jesus' followers may die physically, but they never succumb to death. Let me read it for you one more time. 1 John 4. I'm sorry, John, Gospel of John, 1, 4. In him was life, that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and this is one of my favorite parts. And the darkness, what, church? Yeah. Do you know what that means? It means you will continue to live in this world of darkness and death, but you still win. Life always wins. In him was life. This is a, a present tense. That life was a, an ongoing, on, ongoing uh, situation, an ongoing reality. The darkness of this world of death cannot overcome it. That means that in this darkness, we live real life. And life with Jesus, by the way, doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you decide to follow him as your savior. That's when life begins. That's why it's born again in this life. This is why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. You cannot live by bread alone. In this world, you gotta keep eating, right? Some of us too much during COVID. You gotta keep eating. Cut it off. Learn, how to learn when, when to stop eating. But you gotta eat. You gotta nourish your body. Jesus says you cannot live by bread alone. You have to eat the bread of life, which he called himself. You don't wait to eat right before you die. You eat to stay alive. And I have to tell you, church, Life with Jesus begins now, and if you're feeding on Jesus as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a devote, devoted follower of his will and his word, that's nourishment in this life right now. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Jesus says that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus now. The life that Jesus promises doesn't begin when we die. It begins now. Why? Because, guys, we live in a world of death. <laughs> it surrounds us. It dupes us. It depresses us. We turn on the news, and it's proclaimed to us. But for those of us that follow Jesus Christ, we know life. And because of that, we live life here and now and we will have eternal life to come. Life is knowing God right here and right now. It is personal, interactive relationship with God. I wanna show you a chart comparison and then give you the so what's. This is a uh, <clears throat> spiritual death, what it brings to us. It's inherent, everybody gets it for why one man sinned into the world and death through sin. So death spread to all people because all have sinned. You're walking dead. We're dead men, dead women walking. Without Jesus Christ, it is inherent. You're born spiritually dead. Spiritual death is evident. Just turn on the news. People love the death. It's all they know. They just cope with it. Spiritual death is pervasive. It's abundant. People are duped by the death of this world. It's all that they know. And spiritual death is eternal. There's no getting out of it. We needed help. <laughs> and we had help in the life giver, Jesus Christ. Spiritual life is what he offers us. It is contingent. It is not inherent. In other words, you have to accept it for yourself. You have to believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins. You have to believe he is the vine and you are the branches and his life flows through you. It is evident 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't help but speak real life in this world and live a life that is different from those around you. Jesus' life is pervasive. What that means, it is, it is abundant, Jesus calls it. it. It affects every part of our lives. It doesn't just affect, affect us coming to church on Sunday or lighting a candle or worshiping on a specific day out of the week. It's, a, it's abundant. It means that no matter, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you know life, it's just going to fill every part of you. It's going to affect your work life, how you work, how you live, how you treat your wife, how you treat your children, how you treat your spouse, how you work. It affects uh, schoolwork. It affects every part of your life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I come that they might have life and life more abundant. And it is forever. It never stops. It begins when you follow Jesus Christ, and you never lose it. Isn't that great? This is the life that Jesus brings to a world of death. And unfortunately, he had to live in this world of death to show us the difference. So here it is. The remedy to our death is Jesus' life. How does this affect us? I'm glad you asked. Here's your so what's. Number one, beware of everyday spiritual accelerants. What I mean by that is, deep down, everybody questions why they're here. What's the purpose of life? Who am I? Why am I here? What is this life about? Some people call that a God-shaped hole that God puts into our lives. They naturally look for answers, but they miss it every time because all they have to do is live in this world of death trying to find answers in a graveyard for what life is about. We live in a world that dresses up this world of death to make it as manageable as it possibly can be because they don't know a cure. Solutions to found in this life originate from a morgue and sometimes only accelerate the death problem that we have. So we look to different things to fill the hole in our hearts, relationships, social media. We look to addictive items, anything we can do in order, in order to fill that gap in our lives that we know, everybody knows is deep down there. And it's a hole that God created because we live in a world of death. So Jesus came as life to show us what life is all about. Jesus is the puzzle piece meant to fill that hole. Problem is, you can have a great life here and still miss out on life. This is the insidious part of life. Some people look for short-term quickies. You know, whatever the addictive item is, it gives me a, a quick boost right now and I move on to the next thing. Or, or I get a quickie jolt now and it moves me on to, and I can get through life if I just keep getting these short-term meaningful moments. Other people play the long game and this is the more insidious part of life. Some people play the long game. They save for years. They have incredible bank accounts. They they, they, they're frugal, they're, they're good people, they, they try and make their life meaningful in some way, but they never include Jesus Christ and they still lose at the end of the game. The worst lies are the ones that give you a version of happiness until you die. But once the game is over and you realize what you thought was life was only a better version of death, simply walked into a gorgeous funeral and thought it was a birthday party. You miss out on life. This is the thief that Jesus talks about, by the way. 
The thief comes only in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Reminds me of a parable about a guy Jesus talked about when he was here in Luke chapter 12. He was a rich man. He had a rich life. He had huge crops. He had so much harvest that he had to build more barns so he could stick all of his harvest in. He had much wealth. He had, he had bank accounts that were bursting at the seams. So his solution was, I'm just going to keep building barns and shoving them full of stuff until I die. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. And then Jesus finishes his parable by talking about the hole in his heart. In Luke 12, verse 18, he said, I will do this, I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and they will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself for many years, eat, drink, and be merry. (laughs) Did you think that Jesus said that, or did you hear that somewhere else? Popular phrase, right? From Jesus' own mouth. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is the insidious nature of the lies this world of death offers us. Eat, drink, and be merry. But one night for this person, for this individual in this parable, everything changed. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You missed out on life. You thought you had a great version, a great life here, right? You thought you were living it to the fullest. You're planning for the future. You're going to save for your kids. You wanted for nothing until God required your soul. And then you realized you missed it. Verse 22, therefore I tell you, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. And down to verse 31, instead seek the kingdom of God in these things will be added to you. So the number two thing I would say is see the problem as Jesus sees it. What do I mean by that? Life is about much more than it seems like it is on the surface. If you want real life here and real life later, you must include Jesus Christ. By the way, being spiritual is not enough. Like a lot of people are spiritual, they're in touch with their spiritual sides. It doesn't work that way. You must include the life giver, Jesus. Let me give you an example of some people who made this mistake. And this is what makes us so insidious in religion. Because religion will sell you a faith, but if that faith does not include Jesus Christ as the Son of God, it is not faith. It is a lie. Some were spiritual leaders in Jesus' day. They were looked at as a spiritual leader. They taught other people how to be spiritual. They let others know about the God of the Old Testament. They preached at seminars and worship services. They believed they found life because their faith, they thought, was deep in God. But they did not believe Jesus claims that he was sent from the Father. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe Jesus could die for the sins of the world. They did not believe Jesus claims And in John 5, verse 39, Jesus confronts him directly. Again, Gospel of John. Here's what he writes. 
Jesus says to these leaders, these spiritual leaders, you search the scriptures because that you think them that in them you have eternal what, church? You think that in the Bible, the words that are in there will bring you eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. You can know the Bible from the front to the back, upside down and right side up, every which way, but if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, sent to die for the sins of the world, you live in death. The insidiousness of faith is that it sells you a version of what God offers. But if it doesn't include Jesus, you miss it every time. And the sad thing about this is these guys were looking life in the eyeballs and they didn't believe it. We need to show life in this world of death. This is the last thing I want you to remember this morning. This is what Jesus meant when he used the analogy of the vineyard. The vineyard is a wonderful analogy, again, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You remember this? We'll talk about it in a minute, but I'm the vine, you're the branches. The Father is the vineyard keeper, the vine, the branches, and if you bear fruit, it will remain. So if you picture in your mind what a, what a vineyard looks like, if you've ever been to a vineyard, I love them. I lo- they're so peaceful. I would love to retire in a vineyard. It's, 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 if I ever get to retire, which I probably won't, but I love sitting in a vineyard. It is so peaceful. And these vines, these big, thick vines run, run, run down these rows after rows after rows and off of the vines come the branches and off the branches hang the grapes. Jesus uses this analogy and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know what that means? He is the one that brings life and we thrive off his life. If the branch ceases to thrive off the life-giving vine, the branch is broken off and thrown away. It's useless. But if the branch thrives off the vine, off the life of the vine, it grows strong and it bears fruit that remains. Let me read it to you in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. In other words, live life daily with me. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, church, you can do what? Zip, zero, nada. You'll live your life. You'll have a version of life. You may have a big wealthy bank account, barns that are bursting at the seams, or you might just maybe just try and scrape by. Maybe you look for the quickies once in a while, something that keeps life meaningful for you. Even if it's sinful, just a little jolt every now and then. Maybe it's not even sinful. Maybe it's just like a relationship you can't live without. And, and if I don't have it, life's not worth living, but something that fills that hole and you just keep shoving things in there and shoving things in there. You're missing the point of being here. Life is found in a person, Jesus Christ. And if you abide in him and he abides in you, 
you will find a meaning to this life that nobody around you knows. Only those who follow Jesus Christ can understand. You may not get the big bank account. (laughs) You may not get the Bentley that you want to drive around. You may still struggle with kids that don't obey you and a a job that you really pray for something better. You might get COVID. You might deal with some people that have had COVID and dealt with some loss. You will continue to live in a world that is duped by death. And every time you turn on the TV, you'll say to yourself, how can people think this way? How can they live this way? Because brothers and sisters who follow Jesus Christ, he brings us a life that is not indigenous to this world. It is something different. And when you know Christ, you know life. Apart from him, life is empty and meaningless, but with him, life is abundant and unimaginable later. Abundant now and unimaginable later. Paul says, I can't even begin, and he saw visions of heaven. And Paul says, I can't even begin to explain to you what waits for you in your future. When this happens, and you know Jesus, others will see, and they will see in you a life that they do not understand, and you will become an ambassador of life in this world of death. So let me be the vine that God would, I think, want me to be here today. I want to tell you, or branch off the vine that he would want me to be here to you, an ambassador of life. If you want life, if you want abundant life, a life worth living here and a promise of a life you cannot imagine to come, then you must be born again to a new living hope, a life with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, it's a, it's a short verse through John that you have given to us In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The darkness has not overcome it. I thank you for 2,000 years we've been preaching this message, talking about life in a world duped by death, in a world convinced that this is the only way it's, it's, it's ever been. May we be, May we be the ambassadors of life. May through us, people see what it means to be a follower of the one who brings life. May our lives lived here be different from those around us because we live for a different purpose, for a different reason, and to a different end. Thank you, Father, that we could not understand the difference between death and life because we just lived in it for so long, every one of us, that you would give us your son to show us an example of life. You have been very good to us. Not just giving us your word, written, but the word living. And I pray, Father, that he would continue to change lives of people around us, through us. May we be the branches off this living vine that we need to be so that we can bear fruit 
for our Savior, Jesus Christ, fruit that remains forever. Thank you that we live for a higher calling and we, <laughs> we have reason to get out of bed in the morning that goes beyond just filling our barns with stuff. Thank you that through us, we continue to change the world and bring life to the graveyard in which we live. I pray that we would do that really, really well. Boldly, unashamedly, and victoriously. It's in the name of the life giver, Jesus Christ, I pray.